at first I was choosing things like my career or like my college or my career or, you know, I wanted to be elite in things that other people could see in those ways. And then I would kind of get there and realize that those things didn't really make people as happy as they seem to be, which, you know, everybody always talks about. And I would kind of get there and I'd get there quickly and I'd sort of look around and be like, all right, a lot of people say that this doesn't make them as happy. So like what's, what would make people happy, right? This is for the others out there, the other ambitious people who want to play at a higher level in their life. It's time to get curious and get real. Join me and together, let's find the others. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Find the Others podcast. Joshua Church, your host here. And today I'm bringing you into a conversation with one of my favorite human beings who also happens to be my sister, Nina Barber. For those of you who know Nina, know what a magical ray of sunshine she is. For those that don't, I'm excited for you to get a glimpse of that. We have a great conversation, really focused in the personal development space and her work as a coach and her work with coaches and the transformational techniques and practices that she's put in place to really develop throughout her career. She is founder and CEO of Prismatico, which is a matchmaking service for startup executives to find coaches. And we talk a little bit about her past dropping out of Stanford to start a uh, $3 million startup company. Now, the best way to describe Nina is briefly a conversation I had with her best friend who happens to be our eight-year-old cousin. (laughs) Brooklyn is her name. And Brooklyn, I was playing with Brooklyn the other day and her imagination is just on point, just sharp. We're just playing make-believe in the pool, swimming around, just having fun. And I told Brooklyn, I said, hey, Brooklyn, please promise me that you'll never lose touch with this imagination because it was just so sharp. It was just bam, bam, bam. We were just playing and I just like, this is insane. Her imagination is so sharp. I said, please tell me, please promise me you'll never lose touch with this. And she said, okay, I promise. That way I'll grow up and I'll end up being like Nina. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's probably the sweetest thing and the greatest compliment you could ever give to someone. That is Nina in a nutshell. So without further ado, let's welcome on Nina Barber. Nina Barber. It's still weird saying Barber, not church. <laughs> Nina Barber, welcome, welcome. I know, at least I kept it nice and old English, you know. I went from a church to a barber. <laughs> you did. I didn't really mess around too much. <laughs> I did move up one letter in the alphabet, which if I was still oh, in school would have been really exciting, you know. There you go, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, C was always pretty good. C was early. always pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> wow, well, welcome. Really happy to have you back. Thank you. Back. This is a round two. We had a warm-up round. The warm-up round, yes. The warm-up round was when Josh realized that I need to empty the card before I do a (laughs) podcast because three seconds into a 45-minute conversation that's epic could be all that we actually capture. But we still had the epic conversation. We did. And now my only challenge to myself today is not to try to compare any of what we talk about to that conversation because parts of me are like, oh, we captured so many cool things. We did. But part of me also, like, I black out when I have conversations with you and a lot of people. And whenever I'm having conversations on this podcast, it's just like blackout. Yeah. Because you're just flowing with it and vibing with it. It's true. It's true. So I don't even remember what we talked about last time. Um, I just trust that this time is going to be better because clearly, like, this is the podcast that that was meant to happen. It was meant to be shared. Divine timing. So for everybody listening, you're listening (laughs) to the podcast. You should be listening with myself and my beautiful, lovely sister, (laughs) Nina Barber. Um, Welcome. So um, it's about winter time as we were just saying. How does yes. wintertime feel for you? Oh, it feels good. I like, I think the new start of every season is always very delicious. You know, you get to swap your wardrobe and settle into a new routine. And uh, for me, that involves a lot of uh, very Christmas-themed things and candles and cozy work spots. It's very nice. <laughs> as cozy and warm as you can get for San Diego, yeah, California. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'm still, I'm still going hard with the blankets and the winter coats. And, <laughs> and uh, is, is Christmas one of your favorite holidays? What was your favorite? Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm like a, I'm just a big holiday. I'm a, I would say I'm a very festive person. I'd say that's an accurate way of describing yeah. you. A very festive person. I just think uh, one of the best compliments I ever got was when my, my team member Carly told me that since working with me, I've helped her 
learn to celebrate all the little things in life. And I never thought of myself that way. But now that she says it, I realize that I do really value like celebrating. And so I think holidays are very fun for me because they're just like everybody is celebrating and it's a very active reason to celebrate. And so I think going all out, I got my my mask today that's all Christmas themed. I had my Halloween mask before. So I, I pulled out my Christmas clothes, much to my husband Chris's chagrin. <laughs> I've been wearing nothing but like children's Christmas <laughs> unicorn pajamas for the last <laughs> week straight. So I love it. have you always been a festive person? Would you say like, have you always like loved celebrating? I mean, I've grown up with you. So, but how have you, yeah, is it I, could, I, mean, I think we definitely inherited a lot of it from like our, our grandparents, like both Nana and Mime, I would say are very like in different ways. Nana, our dad's mom was very, very festive, I would say. And then uh, Mime, our mom's mom is very like, um, she's, a, she's a immaculate entertainer and hostess right so everything as you know like was always just beautifully decorated beautifully presented so i think those both have different flares of festivity to them and then obviously the aunts and mothers that we grew up with are hugely um big like decorators and magic makers and things like that so i would say we always grew up with it around us and then now as i'm getting older and having my own household and around other kids and people it just it feels like a strong calling to do more like that um yeah bringing more joy and i always love thanksgiving because it was like a time of year where everybody was tapped into the vibration of gratitude, where everybody so was true. like, even if it's simply going around the table and it's a half-ass effort of hearing your uncle, you know, Uncle Ted <laughs> talk about what he's grateful for in yeah. a sarcastic way, like it's still people tapping into gratitude. So it's always really powerful to for that. Yeah, so true. Yeah. And I, I love, I think just those things in general, I've definitely have become more fond of, like, I don't know if you've realized, we have this family tradition of... Uh, as you know, obviously, we have the family tradition of on birthdays going around telling everybody's favorite stories. And recently, I've changed that on my birthday. I don't know if you've noticed. No. Partially because all of the favorite Nina stories always became favorite Josh stories <laughs> because I was not a very entertaining child, but you were incredibly entertaining and I just happened to be around you for a lot of it. Um, so I got tired of listening to favorite Josh stories my whole birthday. But um, but we, I have started, usually we're in Chautauqua at a lake house with our family from the East Coast. And I, I've started for the last three years, I've asked everyone to just go around and share a lesson they learned yes, last right. year. So like a learning reflection piece. And I've tried to sort of make my birthday like a really like reflective self celebratory day like for myself kind of independent of anyone else um and what does that look like well it just mostly looks like for the last i would say probably four or five years i have made sure to carve aside like set aside time to really sit down and reflect on my top learnings from the year and i actually write them down so i have a list from the last four or five years of like here's the top things that on my birthday i sat down and felt like i learned over the past year and i write a note to myself for the future for the next year that now i'm like getting in to read. And I think I did one trip um, when I was working as a facilitator in Kenya and I happened to be there on my birthday and I was there pretty early. So I didn't know very many people. Um, and it was the group I was with and they took great care of me, but it, you know, it wasn't people I knew very well. And I remembered just thinking to myself, like on that day, you know, I want to be able to celebrate my birthday always with people I love, but also there's just something really kind of cool and special. So like having this space for yourself in a certain way. And so that's when I started the tradition and when I started kind of thinking about how I wanted my birthday to look and what I wanted it to stand for. And I think since then we were talking about it, but we, we've, Chris and I have slowly been reinventing holidays. Yes. So, you know, we've decided we've been rebranding them and kind of trying to decide where like how our family will celebrate them. So like you're saying with Thanksgiving, you know, obviously the gratitude element being really huge and pretty baked in the holidays. I think magic is really the theme, like the Christmas holidays and like Hanukkah and um, and Valentine's Day. We're just rebranding purely as like love day. So all about things you love, people you love, like loving life, just like it's going to be love. St. Patrick's Day is going to be Vortex Day in Ooh. in ode to Abraham Hicks. So that's going to be like, you know, since it's already a lucky day, really like focusing on all the things, ways that we're lucky and all the lucky things, divine timing, everything that's coming and has come and just really taking time to like celebrate and play in the vortex. So those are some of the ones that we've got so far. Um, we're very excited about them and that's I can't cool. wait to see what more more things come. <laughs> That's so fun. This feels so on brand for Nina, especially <laughs> the birthday thing, like using it as a time for reflection. And your birthday on July 6th is really cool too because it's 
pretty much halfway through the year, like smack yeah, dab. Yeah, that's so true. So it's a really cool way you can do a New Year's reflection and then your birthday comes and it's six months into it. And yeah. then around the Jewish high holiday time, I know you use as reflection, yeah. which is another three months past that. So you add another springtime and you got the four quarters yeah, right there. Yeah, you're right. Ready I got to add something in the spring and yeah. then I'm set. <laughs> St. Patrick's Day perhaps? Maybe yeah. On yeah. That? Well, I actually have started doing a monthly reflection window. So my last one was on Monday and it's like a two hour block that I block, you know, like where I just block off work from like 4 p.m. through the evening. And I just sit down and I have a series of sort of questions that I ask myself around how I'm spending my time and my energy and how I'm feeling and how things are going. And, you know, especially the really important things in my life, like the people I love and the relationships relationships I care a lot about and um, my health and my well-being and work and like those different areas. And I have sort of just like questions I use around them that I just sort of reflect on and use that as sort of a time to kind of shift and make any changes for the um, upcoming months. So it's a, it's more like a little tune-up rather than like a big taking stock or a big shifting. But um, I found that to be really helpful because sometimes so long can go between those kind of few months or those half a year planning periods that you end up kind of thinking, oh, like, well, you know, I thought this was a goal, but now that I've lived in that goal, you know, this feels more like the right path or this feels better. Or you can even, I found I could even lose sight of things you know, how I was spending my time, you get a little lazy, a little lazy, a little lazy, and then it kind of slips into something different. So I found the monthly tune-ups to be really helpful. Really cool. One of the things I love doing every month is what I call stop, start, continue exercise. Nice. So it's just asking yourself, what's one thing you want to start doing, one thing you want to stop doing, and one thing you want to continue doing. I love that. A little slight tune-up. I'm, I'm sure you've got like the workbooks and everything. Like no, super no, no. I love the start, stop, continue. I think that's such a great model. I use that all the time in work. It's, yeah. It's what, an awesome one. what role has this, because you've always been a very reflective person, I would say, and, mm. you know, writing, journaling, those things. What role does that play for you in your life and how has that evolved? Ooh, good question. Um, yeah, it's funny. Just today I was with my family and we were, they had my little eighth grade project where I wrote all these different essays and like did a whole book on my life. It was part of an eighth grade project. And at the back, I put all the poems I had written up until that point. And I was reading through some of them. I haven't really sat down to reflect on it. It's like I was a poem machine, man. Like every emotion I had could have a whole poem written about it. And it's interesting. I, I Throughout the years, I would go to various like um, – you know, healers or mediums or whatever. And they would say like, you need to be writing. Like your spirit, got, like everything around you spiritually is saying like, be writing. And I really will go through ebbs and flows of actually writing. But even, you know, even earlier this week, like a few days ago, I was not feeling so hot about something and I was stewing on it and I couldn't get it out of my head. So then I sat down and I started writing and it was just like that, like, bam, it was in, it was out. I felt better. I felt elevated around it. So I think it's a tool that I go in and out of remembering how helpful it is. I haven't quite yet found the balance of like, you know, I've definitely gone through phases where it's like, no matter what, every day I get up, I write like whatever's on my mind or whatever I'm feeling. Um, I think it's incredibly healing. I don't know exactly how it fits in how it will fit in long-term because I'm kind of playing with letting go some of my type A tendencies and, <laughs> and sort of being in the moment and feeling the impulses around those things. So I'm not exactly sure where it will fit in, but I think that there is such power in finding a medium that you feel like you can express your emotions and kind of get them flowing. And I think for me, writing is one of those. And I think for you as well. Definitely. What other, what other kind of tools do you have in your tool belt, if you will, when it comes to processing things? Because I, I feel like you're someone that's very, you have this very high level of awareness mm. of what might be present, what you might, might be holding or feeling, you know, you might be feeling or holding you back in certain ways. And then you have outlets to be able to work through that and use that as, um, as healing. Like what other yeah. ways do you, do you process? Do you, um, do you use to, what other tools do you use for your process? Yeah, uh, there's a bunch. I think the way that I think about it overall that's been really the most helpful mindset shift around it has been to adopt the uh, family – it's it's called family systems. And basically it's, it's a therapeutic concept that was invented by um, a man named Richard Schwartz um, not very long ago. I want to say in the 70s or the 80s. And he's a brilliant psychologist and he um, – he created this model that basically says, you know, we're not just one personality. We're not just one person and all of our beliefs aren't completely coherent, right? The reality of what happens is we have sort of this, this unified self or soul, right? And over time through different experiences, 
we have different parts that pop up to help with things. So for example, if uh, as a little kid, I, um, well, let me tell you a part I discovered this week, just as like a live example. Like I am the oldest of, there's four of us, four siblings, um, and I adore each of my little siblings and never on a conscious level would I ever say anything beyond, I am so grateful to have all of us and, you know, it'd be amazing if we had more and like, I could never live without any of you guys. And there's just so much love, right? on every level. And, and, not but, (laughs) and, and I discovered a part that was so surprising to me because I really do feel so much love and I've always felt so loved by our parents and by, by my siblings. And I discovered a part earlier this week when I was feeling a little, like a button got pressed in me. Um, and I didn't know, I was like, wow, I'm really, like, I could tell I was really overreacting, but I was really emotionally flooded. Like, my emotions were just coming hardcore. And I went to process and really tried to pierce through. And I just sat down and I asked, you know, what's, who are you? Like, what part are you? What do you need? Like, what's hurting right now? What's happening? And the part just immediately flashed to me, just a memory of being, like, maybe four or five and just feeling a little neglected by our parents and just feeling like they were giving attention to you and like my other, our other two younger siblings when I was really wanting them, but they were kind of like telling me to be a big girl, take care of my own needs because I could. And, you know, you guys probably couldn't at that time. Um, well, Jacob and Rachel probably couldn't. And you were probably just running around with terror <laughs> as we've seen in home videos. So, so that, that would be an example of in that moment to like a five-year-old me who's looking around and seeing all of my siblings getting attention from our parents and me really wanting that attention. And even though nothing bad was happening and my parents weren't being neglectful in any way, that part of me felt neglected. And therefore, a part was born to protect me from the pain of neglect. And that part is really jumping to whatever defense mechanisms it can in that moment. And so for me, whatever that was at five, is probably very different than what I would be able to do now or what I would be able to create now. But at five, you know, its defense mechanism was really to like make me angry, to shut me down, to say, we don't even want that. Like we're right. We're going to hold on to our rightness over here and it's fine, right? It was to put up a wall, right? When people talk about walls. And so then over time, that part gathered more and more data and got stronger and stronger in different areas. And anytime there's a sense of not having people looking out for me in the way that I really want them to be, people I love really dearly, this button gets pressed. This part comes up to try to protect me. And it's just a little part stuck in its five-year-old self. And it's probably built a lot of collateral over the years, right? And and it just needs love. And it's trying its best to protect me. It's not trying to hurt me. It's trying to, to protect me from feeling these feelings that it's really scared of or that things that at five I couldn't handle. But now I can handle, right? So parts work has been really powerful for me because what what I find is that just we have so many parts and they all some and they're all beautiful in their own way and a lot of them are really really talented like they help us be the people that we want to be right there we have performer parts and we have schmoozer parts and we have um leader parts and we have influential parts and we have thinker parts and creative parts and like you know they're all beautiful and the question is how can we do them from a place that's how can we love them and have them part of a whole self from a place that's energizing and and from a place of love and peace rather than from a place of trauma and fear or scarcity right and kind of shifting them so for me the first mindset shift is really around the parts work and really viewing it as these are all parts. They all have things. And, you know, my whole self is safe and loved and okay and peaceful and like it's okay and we can handle all of these parts. Um, And then I think that there's a bunch of tools that I use depending on the part that's coming up, how overwhelmed I am. Coaching is a huge one, being able to lean on my own coaches, um, being able to lean on, you know, close friends and family who, you know, are not having a button pressed at that time, you know, that can really help. Um, Writing, sitting down and like live streaming. Um, Family Systems has some techniques that you can use as well. Um, Core Transformation is another type of coaching that I do a lot of that works with parts and really helps those parts feel safer and feel secure. Um, And I would say, honestly, also just getting moving, getting you know, like not distraction in a bad way. I think there's some things that need to be worked through to the root. And then there's some things that just don't really 
it just doesn't help to engage with them, I found. And so really allowing yourself to say, okay, yeah, I used to really engage with that thought, but that thought doesn't really serve me anymore. And I don't really need to dig into it. I can just like tell that thought it's safe and I can just move on, right? And I can just distract myself, do something that I enjoy. And then eventually like I won't go down that ski slope anymore, that path slope, and then that path slope will will dissipate. It won't hold the power over me that it holds. So I'd say that those are kind of like the everyday tools that I use. That's insane. It's a, it's, it's a pretty cool tool belt. And I've watched you build it over the years, time by time. Was there a moment that led you towards being like, I want to develop these tools? Or how, how did you start mm. down this path? Because, you know, as somebody on the outside is probably listening in, like you are, you know, you are evolving down this path. It's also aligned with your profession. It's what you do for a living as well. It's like, you know, you're very committed to this inner healing and this inner work. Mm. How did you begin? And first part of the question, and then what, how would you recommend somebody else begin if yeah. they're interested in it? It's a good question. And I think about it a lot when I think about kids and teaching and kind of how to support the next generation and yeah. other people, you know, how do you help people want things that might actually be really powerful for them or for, for their lives? And I think that it's really hard to point to one thing. There's probably lots and lots of things that poured into it. You know, we have we come from a family that really valued since we were young, we were taught the concept of tikkun olam, right? Healing your healing the world starts with healing yourself, then healing and supporting your family, then extending to your community, then extending to the world. And I think that there's so much power in growing up in a in a household where that was constantly talked about mm. and that concept was there. Um and I think that I was always a bit of an overachiever in the sense that I like always wanted to do really, really, really well. And I wanted to be like, I always wanted to be very elite in whatever I was doing, right? I wanted to be in the top performer category for whatever it was that I chose to do. And I think that at first I was choosing things like my career or like my college or my career, or, you know, I wanted to be elite in things that other people could see in those ways. And then I would kind of get there and realize that those things didn't really make people as happy as they seem to be, which, you know, everybody always talks about. And I would kind of get there and I'd get there quickly and I'd sort of look around and be like, all right, a lot of people say that this doesn't make them as happy. So like what's, what would make people happy, right? And so then I pretty quickly became obsessed with the idea of, you know, happiness and health and wellness and all those things. And I wouldn't say I began to take them on as projects, but I would say that I, I pretty quickly learned, okay, well, maybe the better thing to focus on rather than being elite in my career or elite in these things would be to be someone who's elite in the way that they're, they show up in the world, like just healed, loving, light, peace. And then from that place, I'm sure I could do lots of things, right? Um, and I think that it was a really great goal. Um, and it's one that really got me started on my path because it was accessible to me at that point. It was rather than saying, I'm going to do a bunch of healing and I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to try to be a really like happy, peaceful person. I kind of started with, I just want to be the best. And it seems like people aren't really that happy when they go and try to be the best in finances or in this thing or in that thing. So why am I, I'm going to just skip to the steps that most people get to when they're in their like fifties or sixties and be the best now and get there now. And it, it worked well for my competitive self because then once of course I got into it, then I started to heal those parts that were like, I have to be the best. And then it was, I was able to really settle and be like, wow, I'm really glad that I've done all this exploration that I'm that this is something I value and something that's important to me. So I would say it's like you can kind of find whatever the next step is for you, right? Like if if for you the next accessible step is to view it as like a game and your intentions are not at all pure, unlike, you know, like mine were, yeah. <laughs> um, then I think that it's still okay because you, you'll take the next step and then the next step and then eventually you'll find yourself sort of in a flywheel where these things become, you realize the value in them. Or if that still, you know, or you might come in having really pure intentions of like, I really just see how if I'm more of a, of a light that I can be more of a light for others and, and do all those things. And, um, and I think that's great too. I think really it's just like finding whatever is accessible to you to eventually really believing that nothing matters more than you showing up in your fullness and you being able to be that light wherever you go. Um, I think that that just is something that if you can commit to will change your whole life, right? Beautiful. And, and that and you are you you are inspiring to me because you're someone that I see is very committed towards that. 
and committed towards that um, that that practice. I guess you should say because it is a practice. So Definitely and practice. you always you always, you you haven't always been right. Like when yeah. you were at Stanford, you dropped out of Stanford. You started a company, got got capital, got funding, started a company, and you worked yourself to the bone pretty good. Yeah. Um. Very different than what you're doing now. Right. Yeah, I, saw, I saw you just launched the new Prismatico website. Congrats. Yeah, it looks beautiful. You. I'd love to, I'd love to hear a little bit more about like that shift from, you know, I, I presume that's kind of what you're talking about around yeah. be the best Stanford. Like you followed the playbook, right? In yeah, a way. totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think I always had a really strong desire to be very alive. Right. And I think that's something that you have in common with a lot of the people that you're trying to find on this podcast and bring together. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners is like, there's kind of the sense of like, wait, like, let's soak, let's do it. Like, let's really milk life, right? Like, let's burn brightly and like live it fully. And like, and sometimes it's, it feels elusive, right? To like figure out how to do that. And then sometimes it feels so good and full. And um, so I think that that was always there, that sense of like wanting to really just like go, like really live it all up and like juice it up. And um, I think it's just like where that energy goes has shifted a little bit. And so at first it was like, okay, like I'm going to start this company and I'm going to have the entrepreneurial journey. And I mean, I can look back now and say everything was perfectly divine timing, everything, everyone. I mean, it's just amazing to me how things work out. But of course, you know, in the moment, because you were one of my my best support systems at the time, that it was really painful for me. There was a lot of stress and challenges throughout the entrepreneurial journey, like physically, mentally, emotionally, right? Like on every level, spiritually, it was just a different, it just brought out so many different sides of me. It brought out so many different parts. It showed me so many buttons that had never really been activated or that had been activated, but never to that extent. Um, just because of the dynamics of starting a business and working with lots of people and having more on the stake and being an adult and like living away from home. And there's just so many pieces. And it just brought it all out, like in this giant throw you in the deep end kind of crash course. And, and it was overwhelming, right? There were a lot of days that were very overwhelming. And then there were some days where I was like, okay, well, I see this part and I would really like to work on it. Like I would really like for it to be different and I, I want to kind of move forward and I would discover this part and then I would be like, I hate this part. Like I can't stand it. Like let's get rid of it. And then I would start doing the work and realize you can't hate a part and and uh, integrate it properly. <laughs> um, and so, you know, then I had to work on like being unconditionally loving towards myself, which required me to be very unconditionally. That was much harder than being unconditionally loving towards other people. So, you know, starting to cultivate those pieces um, so I would say it was just this incredible training boot camp that ultimately when the company shut down and I was starting on my next journey, I just realized that I would love nothing more than to have my neck, my career be something where the work that I enjoy doing on myself was actually an important part of the job so that I could spend way more time doing it so that I could grow and explore and continue sort of advancing in it and also at the same time like support others in doing that. So that sort of led me into the coaching world and then from the coaching world led me into starting Prismatico now, which is coach matchmaking. Um, but I definitely think about my days differently now. It's definitely not a uh, work hard, play hard mentality or like a work-life balance mentality. It's really just a I'm alive, I'm living my life. And I want to create magical, beautiful, important, valuable things for people. And I also want to live my life very fully. And I, it's just basically like being guided across those two things rather than sort of saying like, okay, I have these work hours and this thing and this in place. It's much more about just creating things that I think are really valuable, really important, doing them in ways that feel really high integrity, spending time with people and and on projects that feel really, really energizing. Um and really just kind of viewing life through through that lens, which I'm I'm very lucky to be able to do. And, and I think that the world would be a lot better if more people were able to do that and, and chose to do that. Um, but yeah, so that's been kind of my journey there. I, I love the the through line there being that it was like this this failure, quote unquote, from the mm -hmm. startup when the company shutting down was the launching pad or the springboard to lead yeah. you to this career this life style this work that you feel very called to 
I, I could just see it going a completely separate direction, not being open to that. Mm-hmm. When you were, when the company was shutting down, were you aware at that time, like, hey, this is this is for my healing. This is this mm-hmm. is for me. Something better is going to come from that. Were you in that mindset at that time? I think by the time the company shut down, I was. But I think that just like for the year before that, when things were difficult for me and I was starting to kind of wonder, you know, is this my path? What, you know, I had all these stories, all these, all these stories bouncing around, which again, now I can look back and say really none of them had to do with the situation. They were just completely my own buttons and stories and they were just activated. They were just triggered. Um, And so I would say that for about that year period, which you heard a lot of, (laughs) a lot of tears during. I was um, I was not aware of that. I felt very much like I had made a huge mistake. I had gotten myself trapped in this thing. It, when I look back now, I realize that there was this sense of control. I was trying to control things that, one, were out of my control, and two, I was really lacking in faith that things would, would work out and that, you know, there would be – that everything was going to be okay, and I felt very desperate. Um, and I would say that over time, I just sort of realized how in my own head I was getting. And it was sort of just like a slow realization of working through those parts of not really specifically, not with a coach, not even really sitting down and working through them. But I would say there was always a really strong desire to get through it. There was always a really strong desire of like, I want to feel better. I want to feel better. I really want to feel good. And I would say that that's something that I I find it can be really hard when you lose that sense of like, I want to feel good because then you just kind of get complacent or you get scared or you just kind of give up. But at least I like really, really wanted to feel good. Even though I was feeling really, really bad, I could sense that like feeling good was possible and I just didn't know how to get there. And so it was just a question of like, well, how do I get there? So by the time the company shut down, it was kind of beautiful because I realized like, okay, now I have this incredible opportunity where I have nothing to do. I don't have a job. I had saved enough and, you know, had amazing family that I could live with. So I didn't need to go immediately get another job. So really, I framed that time as my full-time job is just to heal, to understand, to look for what's next, and to be really intentional about it and to figure out that gap of I want to feel good, but I don't feel like I can. How do I feel good? And that's when I started working with coaches and when I started and really bringing in outside people helped a ton. Yeah. Tell me more about that. So, I, I mean, it's so funny that you and I both ended up in the coaching world and the coaching yeah. space somehow. And I mean, a few years ago when when I learned what coaching was, I was like, what do you mean? Like little league coaching? <laughs> like, what do you mean <laughs> totally. coaching? Sports coaching? But no, like what, what role has coaching played? It seems like bringing those outside people in has helped you tremendously. And how do you view coaching in your mind? Yeah. I mean, if I think about that period, it's like there was sort of a ladder of coaches, right? It was like I worked with one coach for six months and then another for six months and, and you know, then another. And, and now I work with um, three different coaches on an ongoing basis. Who coach um, you? Who coach me. And you coach people too right now? I do. I coach a few people nice. still, um, but mostly run my business, which helps match make people with coach options. And then we help support their journey to finding a coach and specifically executives or founders. So in the business world. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I believe so deeply in coaching. I think that for me at that transition point that we were talking about, you know, when the company shut down and I was trying to figure out what to do next, a coach was so important because I had been so in my own head. And even though I had all these fantastically intelligent mentors like you, my husband, my parents, you know, other friends and family, There's something about having someone objective come in who their whole job is just to say, I'm coming in to get you from here to there. And that's my only job. And you're actually going to exchange value with me to do that. And we're going to make sure that you get there. And even though, you know, I didn't know exactly what to look for at that time, you know, my first coach that I hired was just all about, you know, helping women find their soul career. So that was just her thing that she did. And she was amazing at it. So she just helped me really sit down and reflect on a lot of things. So some of it was very tactical, but she also helped me see a bunch of patterns that I could never see from the inside. But then when she would say them, I would be like, oh my gosh, of course that's a pattern. That's amazing that you see that. And now I see how that showed up in this situation, this situation, this situation, this situation. You can't unsee it. And you can't unsee it. And so that was really magical for me. And then I think over time, I found different methodologies. Like I mentioned, I found family systems, parts work. So I started seeing a therapist who specialized in parts work. 
and again, that was just really help her helping me see like, okay, if I'm feeling really angry or scared or sad about these things, like they're coming from this part or these parts. And it helped me map all my parts. And then once I had that vocabulary and names and, and ways to interact with them, I could notice them and I could build a sense of self separate from them rather than them being in the driver's seat all the time. Um, and that was really powerful. Um, and then I found my way through you to my, one of my current coaches who – Giorgio, who is a genius, and his last name sounds a lot like genius. So, um, uh, yeah, and he's an absolute genius. And he provided a really – he still provides. Um, but I think at the, especially when I first started working with him, he was just – like this magic man who could come in and say like, okay, you have a part. I would just have this long laundry list for him of like, okay, I, you know, opened the mail this morning and I felt angry, you know, and I would be like, what's up? And he would be like, okay, like close your eyes. And then an hour later, we would have totally shifted the whole pattern at the core of whatever that feeling was that shows up in 20 different areas. Um, so he was magical. And and I still actively work with him and find it really, really helpful just on an ongoing basis. Um, and then I also work with two coaches that do a, a methodology called core transformation. And that came out of the family systems work, parts work. And it's a really beautiful kind of fusion of guided visualizations and coaching. And so it's it's sort of has its roots in NLP. Um, and it's just really beautiful. You know, you start with a part and – you just close your eyes and you get to know that part and you feel what it's wanting and needing and you really just ask it what it really wants and you keep going and you really make it feel safe and really understand what it wants and then you allow it to feel the feeling. So for example, if a part you know, wants to feel safe, you just really take some time to create a space in your mind's eye where this part can step into an imaginary world where it feels safe exactly the way it wants. And then you kind of keep going until it gets to one of these core states. That's why it's called core transformation. And they found through their creation of this process that there's these four or five core states that sort of everything is a derivative of. It's kind of like oneness, love, peace, okayness, or safety. You know, and when you feel those things, it's just you're so connected, you're so aligned, you're so present, and and you just feel so good and safe. And all of our parts really want that at the core, right? They just exist because they're scared they can't have that unless something else is true. They can't be happy until they've lost the weight. They can't be um, peaceful until that, that work challenge is resolved. And instead, the core transformation process allows you to really – realize helps your part realize that you can actually have what you're wanting and bring that to the challenge so you can feel peace now and then bring that sense of peace to the work challenge and that can transform the way you show up in the work challenge or you can have okayness now even though you haven't lost the weight yet and then bring that to your weight loss journey so that you're doing it from a place of love and peace and safety rather than from a place of like god you know i should i should have been losing more whatever it is so it's just a way more pleasant way to go through life i find to and, do that and work. that's where the magic from my experience that's where the magic yeah. happens because whatever it is that you want you can already feel and you can mm -hmm. already you, are, you actually already embodied and have it and when mm -hmm. you can feel that then it happens. Like then the weight drops when you yeah. feel good about it, right? When you feel whatever the end, end result is, whenever I'm, I'm doing any goal setting or working with clients doing goal setting, I always yeah. like to, we have the outcome, whatever the outcome is, but then the intention, what's the intention behind it? Why do you want this? And how can we feel that now in the present? Like what will accomplishing this bring you? And how can we actually close our eyes and sit with that and feel how good that feels now? Because you can feel it now and then it transcends the entire experience. And from what I found, it just magically just happens. Magic. <laughs> yeah, it really is pretty magical. And, and I mean, I think that's part of the beauty of it, too. It's like you can do that. And then an hour later, you can be back to really wanting the thing and like, remember, like forgetting all of it. And then you have to go back and do it again. I mean, I think that's why they call it a discipline and a practice. You know, it's feelings are fluid. They're not um, stationary. And I think that's one thing that actually came through coaching. You know, at one point I was working with even more coaches <laughs> than I currently work with. And all of them said to me at one point, we should also probably do X process on the fact that you really so badly want to right. fix everything. Right. And I had never thought about it. It was really shocking to me that they all said something like this at some point. And, and, and I realized that there was some rejection of 
feelings and some rejection of negative parts and some rejection of just wanting to, I really just wanted to arrive, like arrive at being my best self and then stay there. And this work has really taught me that it's a very fluid process. And it's really just about, it's almost like I, I try to view it like parenting. I'm not a parent yet, but as someone that adores children, like I imagine it's a lot like parenting where, you know, your kids can be happy for 10 hours out of the day and then they can be really grumpy for an hour and then they can be happy again for the next hour and then they can go to sleep right and i think our parts are the same way right like you can have a day where you're really happy for a bunch of hours and then a day where you're really and then an hour where you're really unhappy and then you feel good again and it's really just about learning how to like support and hold space for whatever comes up throughout that period and just like a parent has to support and hold space for all their kids moods and hopefully try to usher them quickly back to feeling good. But sometimes you don't need to feel good. Sometimes it's okay to, to feel sad or sometimes it's okay to sit in something. Um, and like you said, also sometimes it's faster to just sit in something and then kind of shift out of it, you know. And so I think I think that's kind of how I view it now. It's like I try to view it like I'm the mother of the million parts going on in my system and I'm trying really hard to uh, to support them and and. and love them and just hold space for them all the time. Yeah. And, and at what point, how does this translate to the day-to-day -day life, right? Because like having these conversations, doing this deep inner work, it can, it can, it can tend to feel sometimes like very heady, like yeah. very theoretical. How do you find that this actually in this powerful work that you do and you've done, how does that translate to like day-to-day -day life? Yeah, I think it ebbs and flows. So I think that's part of, too, what I wish someone had told me at the beginning about a lot of personal development work is I kind of thought it was like, okay, I just need to find, like, my morning routine. And then once I find my morning routine, then it's like that'll be my morning routine for life and it'll be I'll be good to go and I'll have a morning routine. And I think it's true that we find these elements that work for us and then those elements can become staples or go-tos. But at least for me, I found that things change, you know, different times, different seasons, different sleep tiredness level, like different everything, right, can impact what things are and holding too stringently to one routine of like, well, if I miss my morning meditation or my morning routine, it's a terrible morning, right? Like that's, I used to feel that way. And I think for me, shifting out of that approach of things and shifting more into, hey, it's just like, I just want every day to be the best day of my life. And I'm not always going to succeed at that, but I want to go in and wake up with the intention of today, I want to be a light. I want to, like, wherever I go, I just want to be a light. And I know that being a light, I'm going to enjoy things. I'm going to be present. I'm going to love. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to just really be where I am. And I'm going to shine brightly. And I totally understand that at some point, parts are going to come up. And the momentum might be really strong with some of those parts. So it might derail me for hours. It might derail me for the whole day. It might derail me for five minutes. But I'm going to just do my best that as soon as I notice that I'm being sort of derailed from that intention, I'm just going to notice it. And I'm going to try to give support, whatever support I can give. And again, some days I can give a lot more and some days I can't. And I have sort of my sets of tools. And then if that's my intention, then some days I wake up and I say, you know what? I think that something that's really going to help this intention is to start my day with journaling. And I have the time and I have the energy. Um, and then some days it's like, you know what? I think I really just need to run to my next thing and I just need to dive in and I need to get into like life. Um, so I think for me, that's more where I've landed with it. I know that everybody's different, but I do think sort of understanding how you work and, and what your patterns are can really help um, define what how it applies to your day-to-day -day life. But for me, it's really that. It's consistently kind of coming back to my intentions. And I'm something I'm working on now that I'm by no means a master at is really not efforting it. So instead of like, okay, I have to be perfect. I have to do this all perfectly. It's much more, as I described it, like, this is my intention. And like, I'm going to set myself up for success here. And at the same time, like, there's going to be some momentum, right? There's going to be some momentum when this thing happens or if this thing happens or if I'm on this call or, you know, and that's okay. Like that's normal. That's natural. And next time that it happens, there's going to be a little less momentum because this time I came in with these intentions and I'm going to catch myself and I'm not going to be hard on myself. Like that's totally natural that that part would have that reaction. So I'm just going to allow myself to hold space for it as soon as I notice it. Something I've been doing a lot of lately is I have this sort of like sense I've sort of located through a variety of like healing work, um, and like guided visualizations, a sense of unconditional love in my body. Like, how do I feel it when I feel the sensation of unconditional love? And I think everybody has, my guess is, I don't know where this comes from, but my guess is everyone sort of has an emotional vibration that feels most natural to them. Maybe it's peace, maybe it's unconditional love, maybe it's um, joy, maybe it's 
um, you know, strength or, you know, power. I don't, I don't know, but that's kind of my guess. And for me, I really feel a lot of unconditional love often. And I've been playing with just sending waves to my parts. So like if my part is feeling stressed about a call, it's coming up, just sending a wave of unconditional love, like wrapping it around in it, you know, like in a violet, um, thing and just throwing rainbow glitter on it, right? Whatever, however you want to picture it. But honestly, just even pausing for that moment, all of a sudden it can come. And then I think the other way that it comes up day to day is, for me, I'm working on not having such a high pain tolerance. I'm working on really noticing if something has shifted out of just presence, peace, joy, love. And then usually there's like a big gradient gap for me between that and then feeling just kind of okay, like fine, 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 fine. And then there's like the red zone explosion. And this was something that coaching helped me uncover. I guess some people it's like, they're green and then they're red, you know, and that's kind of how I thought I was, right? I thought I was like just green, red, but really there's like this long period in between where I'm maybe thinking some negative thoughts or I'm gauging in some things that are draining and I'm not really noticing how I'm being drained in those moments. And then all of a sudden I'm exploding, like I'm so upset or I'm so sad or I'm so scared or whatever it is. And so instead I'm trying to catch things when they get into that gray zone of being like, oh, I'm just getting a little lazy here with my thinking, or I'm getting a little lazy with this, or I'm letting a part run amok without it really realizing how amok it's running and trying to kind of catch it more there so that I can then just sort of ease it back into the states that I intend to be in. That's the practice from what I found. Like that's, because that's where the growth happens. It's catching yourself. It's not, and, and I love what you're saying because it's this idea that it's, it's bringing a bit more compassion to it. Like we're human. <laughs> like, totally. okay. Like we're human. It's <laughs> some all good. Okay. Some of these like, things are hard. <laughs> some of these things are hard. Like we're floating on a rock in space. Like, you know what I mean? Let's yeah. cut ourselves a little bit of slack. And I can even feel like when you're just saying, sending some love to those parts and I feel anxious about something like, mm, oh, you can feel yeah. the release for that. Something that I love that you've, that you've said that I, I've adopted. I know friends have adopted as well is, you know, I intend to release 50% of um, resistance. Yes. Around this. Tell me a little bit more about that. So that comes from the Alexander technique, which my husband and Chris discovered and Chris is also like the world's best guinea pig for all these things he just always tries them out and then I adopt the things that work really well for him um so the Alexander technique I don't know the exact mechanics of it but it's basically talking a lot more to your sort of subconscious brain rather than just trying to get so caught up in your head and so one of the ways that it does that it's actually for posture um, which I see now as you've done it your posture has just gotten a lot better for what it's worth Um, but you can use it for all sorts of things so you just basically say I intend to and then instead of just stating a, a clear intention which I still think has value take the pressure off by saying I intend to be 25% more relaxed. I intend to be 10% more relaxed. I intend to be 50% more relaxed. So all of a sudden, it's signaling to your brain, like, hey, look, you don't have to be relaxed. It's okay. Like, I get it. Some things might be harder. This might be a stressful situation. But let's just be 25% more relaxed. Let's breathe 25% more. Let's slow down 25% more. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing. I, you know, I invite you all to try it right now. You know, I intend to just relax 25% more. Yeah. And to see how that like sinks into your body. Um, and again, you can do that with the waves of unconditional love or peace or joy or presence, you know, whatever comes There's naturally. There's a lot less pressure to that than like, I need to relax. It's like I intend to relax 25% yeah. more or release 25% more resistance about the this uh, how I feel towards this subject or this thought. Yeah. Well, one of the great teachers that you got me hooked on, Abraham Hicks, um, who I don't, has, has she been spoken about yet Not on the yet, podcast? No. Um, so Abraham's, a, well, why don't you explain who Abraham I'd is? I'd love for you to explain who <laughs> Abraham is because I love how you came across finding Abraham so Hicks. So I found Abraham because Josh had known Abraham of Abraham Hicks, the teacher, for a long time, but had kind of gotten reinvigorated, I guess, mm-hmm. and gotten doing a deep dive into the teachings. And every time I talked to him, he was just better and better, like just amazingly glowing. And finally, I just needed to know what he was drinking because I wanted <laughs> in on the Kool-Aid. So I asked him and he was like, oh yeah, I've just been, you know, diving deep into Abraham Hicks's teaching. So I had looked at it before and kind of, it didn't feel like the right time or something, you know, it just didn't click for me before years ago. And then I re-picked up the YouTube videos and Abraham Hicks is a, a woman named Esther who supposedly channels a spirit or spirit entity, like body of spirits named Abraham, who, who have come to share learnings and lessons about the way the world works just to help those who really do want to live their fullest, best lives do that. 
it's 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 quite straightforward and the answer to all of her teachings is pretty much at the at the core very very similar um which is to feel good right <laughs> feel good and do good and like feel real good not just like superficial good yeah unconditionally good and all good things come and and things will be good and you will be a light and life will be good and so then i adopted it and started just experimenting with it and then my husband saw me and was like, okay, well, now I want that Kool-Aid. So he started experimenting with it. And he is not, I would say, not a you know woo-woo spiritual person at all. So whether you believe in the kind of channeling element or not, I would say these are really classic teachings that are really great. And I mean, now it's just common vocabulary in our house. You know, we talk about our high-flying disc and if we're on it or off of it. And there's just so many amazing nuggets of wisdom from Abraham. But one of the big things that it taught me that I think was very different than what I had in my head before discovering Abraham, which was that contrast, she calls contrast, anytime something's happening that isn't how you would want it to be. So there can be small contrast, like, you know, you got in the pool and you were hoping it would be warm and it's a little colder than you would like. It's a little bit of contrast, right? Or it can be really big, like something went terribly wrong in a work situation. Um, And her point is when you're experiencing contrast in that same moment you're actually deepening a desire for whatever it is that is the opposite of what's happening right and in deepening of that desire you're expanding yourself you're expanding your ability to get something even better something even greater and it's all there and ready for you and all you need to do is really become unconditional and just feel good and have fun and realize that it doesn't really matter if it comes or if it doesn't come the point is like you're here you're alive enjoy have fun like live unconditionally and she has all these tools to do that and so for me, contrast has become a really beautiful thing where I'm I'm starting to realize like, oh, like I, I don't like feeling bad, but also every time I'm feeling bad, I'm learning more and I'm deepening my desire to feel good. You're and, learning more how much you love feeling good. Yeah. And I'm also learning more about how to feel good and the specific ways I want to feel good. So a really powerful tool, which she calls pivoting that I use all the time now is like when I'm feeling something I don't want. I pivot it. So in the not feeling good, I just say, hmm, I'm feeling really bad. I want to feel really good. And then just sort of letting yourself rise. And I think another tool she has that I use almost daily is called the emotional ladder. Um, And it's basically like to leap from, let's say, insecure and feeling worthless to feeling joyful is just too big of a leap to make all at once. So you might go a whole day being like, I feel bad and I want to feel good. I feel bad and I want to feel good. But you don't actually get to feeling good because you're so stuck trying to make this giant leap across an ocean. But instead, if you just take a second, and I actually just have the ladder saved on my phone and I just do the ladder, and you move from feeling insecure and worthless to, let's say, jealous. Okay, jealous still isn't a positive emotion, but I can pretty easily get to jealous from worthless and insecure if I'm thinking about a specific situation. And at jealous, I'm a little bit closer to joy. Like jealous is a little bit higher vibration, right? And then from jealous, I can get, can I get to angry? And then from angry, can I get to bored? Yeah, I can pretty often get to, I'm really bored with feeling so bad about this topic. And then from bored, can I get to a little bit of gratitude? I'm like grateful that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden you can find that in a matter of minutes, you can get from feeling really bad, being like, I'm just feeling bad. I can't shift it to feeling really good. That's probably my most commonly used tool along with pivoting. That's so good. I feel like we learn, we can learn a lot from kids in that because kids pivot very quickly all the time. I know that your best (laughs) friend is our... Uh, eight-year-old cousin. She eight? she's nine. Nine. nine uh, our best. Your it's best not friend. as cute anymore now that she's getting old. Uh, <laughs> Tell me about your best friend. No, well, I'm lucky to have lots of best friends. Um, in in our cousins, we have got some amazing cousins. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I just love. I love. Obviously, I love Brooklyn. I love Carter. I love Serena. I love Ava. If anybody's yeah. listening, I love yeah. them all. Um, and the little kids in general. Like, what have you? Because because <laughs> from what I've seen little kids gravitate towards you and you love little kids. You love spending time with kids. I feel like it's part of your soul path in this lifetime. You're going to hopefully be a, a ma, a Have mother a million with children. lots of little, lots of little kids as well. But um, like, what do you see? Like, how can we learn from kids? Like, yeah. So there's this concept in Judaism of Klippo, which I think we've talked about, which is this idea that over time we add these veils, like these curtains 
over our soul. And they they grow and sometimes they harden and they sort of just separate our soul from our everyday life, right? And our ability to access our soul. And I think there's a lot of healing. And, you know, you could also say parts work, right? We have more and more parts and those parts have gained more and more momentum. And to me, there's something so raw and beautiful about children because they just, I think their soul is so much, their energy and their soul is so much uh more front and center in their experience than we as adults are just naturally, right? There's more life lived. There's, I think something, there's personally something really fun and satisfying to me to figure out how can you explain things to kids in a way that, um, that forms fewer clipo, but I certainly realized you can't break a child and like, you can't, I, I got, I got to interject. I was, I was, I was needing you so badly the other day when my little cousin Brooklyn was asking, um, she was asking something about like, um, our, our grandfather, our real grandfather yeah. on, on our mom's side, who was a, a horribly abusive man and a very like, honestly evil man in a lot of different ways yeah. with, with his actions and, and, and with what he did. And so she was asking like, you know, she was, she was just like asking the, just the so sweet, innocent questions of like, yeah. well, why not? Well, what yeah. did he do? How did he do like, and, and I was just like, Nina, I need a lifeline. <laughs> like Nina, how do I explain? <laughs> how do I That's explain so this? Funny. And I loved watching you like explain these different concepts and things to like Thank our you. little cousins that are just looking up like, Oh, like that makes sense. I get that. <laughs> I love that. Well, it's funny. I feel like my whole life put me in a great position to to have that skill set because growing up with you and our younger siblings, and then I was a pretty mature young kid. So, you know, I would ask lots of questions and our parents would be really open with me about a lot of things that maybe they wouldn't have been to other kids or that, you know, other parents wouldn't have been open about. So I learned a lot growing up. And then I feel like I turned around and, you know, and our older cousins, Bella and Michelle, Bella was like a great mentor to me in that way and would always teach me things that, you know, the parents wouldn't teach me. And so then turning around to teach it back to you guys, I think that it just became fun for me to like figure out like, like I have a very vivid memory of Jacob coming home, our youngest brother coming home in like the third grade. And he had to learn all these things and he didn't understand the topic. And I like looked at it and was like, how can I make him understand this? And then like I created this whole simulation game for us and he like totally nailed it at school the next day. And and it was just like, it's such a joy for me to like figure out how to help a young mind, like not only stay, I think that so much of society tries to like blunt the high energy openness of a child. And to me, it's like such a joy and fun creative exercise to figure out how do you not only not blunt it, but how do you expand it? Like, how can we make this like something that's like extra expansive and cool? And that doesn't mean that they feel good all the time or that it's all joyful. It's just, how do you make it open? And then I think on the flip side, I learned so much from kids in terms of like their ability to be so present, so in their bodies, so aware of all their emotions, right? Like, like you said, they can go in a minute from this is the best day of my life to like bawling, tears, and then back again to feeling good. Like they move through their feelings. Their feelings are not stuck in them. And I think that that's such a powerful lesson for me. I I absolutely have learned so much from it and I'm I'm trying to learn more from it, right? And internalize it. So I think those are some of the reasons that I find kids so energizing. And we're just kids in grown up bodies. Like we're all just, especially the more you dive into this work, the more you realize like, yeah, we're all just that 10 year old, yeah. eight-year-old kid that's just like wanting wanting love and just totally. either every action as you said is either an extension of love or a cry for for it yeah yeah it's so true and I think that's where you know the more that I feel like I've I've always been like what's my life mission like what's my life mission I've tried to find it and I've done all the exercises and I've done all those things and our coach Giorgio has always said, you know, you'll know your life mission because it's one of those things where you'll try to walk away from it, it'll pull you back. You'll try to walk away from it, it'll pull you back. And it'll show up in every recurring struggle that you have and every, you know, big issue that you have. And when you look back at your life and you connect the dots and you try to, you know, see what the common threads were with your your stories, you'll see that it was always the thing that you were trying to avoid. You hated it. You wished it wasn't there. And it kind of kept pulling you back. Like that is your life's work, right? And that's your life's mission and and whatever, right? Mastering that and then coming from that. And for me, I've just found that unconditional love is just the core of it for me and like learning to love myself and others unconditionally. And it's a very, it's a big challenge, but it's like really exciting and really beautiful to me to be able to see the, um, the children and everyone and to really admire that. And so for me, it's just like, I love it. And I love that kids 
I feel like have a very natural ability to do that. And, um, and I think it's just really special. Yeah. And magic too. Yeah. I know oh, yeah, it's, so one of, it's, it's a favorite word. I love magic. I know you love yes. magic. <laughs> talk, talk to me about magic. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I feel like when I we were little, we definitely believed in magic. And then as I got older, I was like, well, I guess magic's not here. And then now I'm like, oh, there's magic everywhere. <laughs> so much freaking magic. Um, but it's so true. I think it's just it looks different than maybe like the storybooks talked about it. But I think that there's just like so much that flows between us all and like the divine timing and the energy. And then also just the actual physical things that exist in our world. And when you think about how every single thing has expanded to be what it is like it's just it's just magical like honestly it's like even just the other day I was having like a salad it was a very healthy salad and it was super bland and I was kind of like you know like nature knows how to do a lot of foods right and I like so am amazed by how many natural amazingly delicious foods we have but also like how magical is it that just over time humans were like we want food to taste better. <laughs> and so they just like invented all these foods that are mind-blowingly delicious. And, you know, maybe not so healthy, but now we're like expanding there, right? Like, and now people are like, we want it to taste good and we want it to be healthy. And people are inventing those foods. Like, I think to me, just like viewing the whole world as expansion, like the internet, you know, I think about that all the time. You know, we wanted magic. And before it's like, it would take days to get around the world, days to communicate, weeks, months to communicate. And then every generation, we got a little bit faster and a little bit better and we expanded to more and more. And now there's just this magical thing where like we can FaceTime as if we're teleporting into the same room, you know? And it's like, to me, it's like you can, I, our mom always used to say, like you, you can look at, it's a, it's a quote, I can't remember who by, but she always used to say, you can look at life as if everything is a miracle or as if nothing is. Einstein. Yeah, Einstein. Shout out to Albie. There you go. <laughs> so I think I think that to me it's like miracles, magic. Like it's just it's all there. Yeah. And it's so much more of a fun way to. to, to oh look. my gosh, it's so and, fun. And tell me if you found this too, but I found that I always thought that that was when I was younger that was a naive way to view the world. Hmm. The more that I've encountered challenges, adversity, tough times, and the more that I've seen others who have hmm. gone through unspeakable times, tough challenges the more magic I seemingly find. Mm. Do you oh, relate to that beautiful. at all? Yeah, of course. Well, anything in particular that you... I mean, for starters, for starters, like rainbows exist. Oh, yeah, like, cool. like guys, really just cool. for a quick sec. Rainbows. Let's pull that There's apart. beams of colorful light that are shooting across the sky <laughs> when the sun... Like, what is a rainbow? Like, oh yeah, okay, it's the way that the I light know. refracts. Okay, you can explain it scientifically, sure, but there's beams of colorful light shooting across the freaking sky. I know, is Magic, it insane? butterflies, caterpillars oh hummingbirds? go into a cocoon oh, yeah, that's and crazy. turn into a freaking beautiful butterfly. Hummingbirds, like... What? I know. It's We're insane. letting way too much slide, people. We really we are really that's... stop letting it slide. Like <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and 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 I talked about it in one of my one of my I other episodes that. that like I had to actually stop smoking weed at a point because I was like, I'm 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 get I'm I'm like going off deep and I'm unhinging, like I'm going I'm crazy. Unhinging. And then I'll never forget after like going, you know, being sober for like four or five months, like completely sober from all substances, I was going for a run and I see this butterfly like follow me and like land on this leaf and I just stopped and I started crying. Aww. It was like moved to emotion of just like, oh my God, like how we're nobody else like you're just walking by like what the hell do you see it? Don't you see? And that's so much of like the spirit of find the others to me. It's like the other people that are that are opening their eyes to to the beauty and the wonder that is there and tapping into that childlike spirit that are that are flowing with the emotions, that are seeing the the beauty, the wonder, the magic that's all around. Yeah, I think to me the thing that stands out there is exactly what Find the Others is about, but and really what a lot of the theme of this conversation is about, right? You know, there's that deep desire to live life fully, right? And to get excited. And, you know, at all points in time, we're all sort of laughed at or excluded or hurt for for feeling that way and being that way. And that's life. Like it's it's okay, right? It makes us who we are and the journey back to finding that can be so satisfying. But I think that over time, a lot of people just kind of harden those parts of them and they they harden those layers trying to protect themselves. And and I would say that's, to me, that's that's the sad thing, right? That's where 
I want to like hold every person's inner child and, and help them like release it because there's always going to be people that are going to laugh at you. There's always going to be people that are going to exclude you. Always going to be people that feel that your approach isn't the right approach and that's okay. Like it's going to hurt. There's going to be moments of pain, but those walls that shut us down from appreciating the beauty of life and the excitement and the magic of it, it's just not worth it. Like truly can say just not worth it. Um, and so I, I just – think that it's so cool because when you find other people, you can have conversations like we just had. I don't know if you felt it, but as you were describing the rainbow and I was talking about the internet, you know, all of a sudden and the food, it's like I could feel my energy rising. Definitely. And something that Abraham Hicks says is that the woman, Esther, that channels him is that if you could hear her and her her late husband talking, you would just be nauseated with <laughs> yeah. how, you know, it's conversations like this. And, and I really think that when you find the others in your life, you can have these kinds of conversations like, isn't it insane? Isn't that amazing? Isn't this wonderful? And you raise each other. Um, and to me, that's just so special. And, and that's where it's even more fun than just doing it on your own, right? Like coming into connection with others around it. Totally. Well, thank you for being one of the others. I'm really thank blessed you. that we get to be brother and sister and play <laughs> in this good life Good dreaming, together. as yeah, Josh always dream. says. Good I've dreaming. adopted that yeah, every time dreaming. I do something. Good dreaming. Good dreaming. I, uh, I was getting my blood taken yesterday yeah. for some lab works, and uh, the nurse commented on my veins being just perfect for drawing blood. Yeah. And she's like, this is so amazing. I was like, yeah, every phlebotomist always says that when they take my blood. And she's like, it really, they're amazing. And I was like, yep, good dreaming. Yep. And, I, and she was like, what? And I was <laughs> like, ah, sorry. It's a thing. Yep. <laughs> so good dreaming, everyone. <laughs> good dreaming. Good dreaming. Yeah. I love you, Nina. Appreciate you I for being you. here. Um, and we could keep talking forever, but we'll wrap it up here. Yeah. Have and a great day, everyone listening. And lots of love to everyone. Lots, lots of love. love to you, Joshy. Glad Thanks, you're doing Nina. this. Love you. Love you.